know it's a, it, it, it's a Valentine's Day today. Have all you gentlemen bought something for your wife or at least said something to her today yet? Great, great, thank you. Mitch, well done. John, was that you, Jono? Brilliant. Tristan, uh, everybody else, everybody else over here, everybody. Now, I'll just give you an opportunity. You can just say to your wife, if you haven't yet, you just say, it's coming, honey. Just whisper in her ear, it's coming. Okay. Do you, do you know, I was just fascinated with the whole story of Valentine because Valentine was a Christian man. They called him Saint Valentine. He lived 270 years after um, the birth of Jesus. So he lived in the Roman, he was a Roman in the empire. He was a Catholic, he was a priest, but he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, in the days that uh, Saint Valentine lived, in actual fact, 270 years after, he was martyred because of what he believed in. Um, the Roman Empire at the time was Claudius. They used to call him Claudius the Cruel. Okay, And Claudius the Cruel, um, the reason that St. Valentine was uh, martyred, it was because Claudius the Cruel was a, 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 very, he was a tyrant. And he, he, he'd, he'd kill people just like that. And so he was trying to enlist a lot of men out of Rome into his army. And a lot of the men were rejecting being enlisted in, in the Roman um, army. And the reason that they were being rejected was really simple because they really um, had strong attachments to their wives and their children and to the values of family. And they knew if they were in war, there's a good chance they'd be away somewhere and there's a good chance they could get killed. And so they weren't enlisting in his army. Claudius the Cruel, as they called him, actually made a law that no men in Rome, or no couples in Rome could marry, ever marry. And so St. Valentine, the Christian... Now, look... I say that because it kind of illustrates what I was saying last week because we're doing a theme about making healthy um, families healthier. And uh, remember last week I, I was talking about how Paul, who was a Roman born in Tarsus, actually in Ephesians uh, shared with us uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 about families and four behaviors that families need to have within their family unit. And we shared last week about that. And, and it was all because the values of the Romans were very strong in their family values. Husband and wife and children, very strong. And that's why there was a Roman Empire that built so, became so strong. Because they believed that if to build a strong nation, you needed a strong family. Would you agree? Actually, to build a church, you need a strong family. Family units need to be together. And so um, Paul believed in it. And here's evidence of it, because Claudius, who was emperor at the time... Um, cruel as he was, um, didn't want it because he wanted men in his army. And so he just, in actual fact, that's why one of the reasons the Roman Empire collapsed eventually. It was so vast, but it collapsed because um, the, the emperors of the day were so cruel in the things they did. And so Claudius, um, he had this law, no, uh, you know, no one was to marry in Rome. St. Valentine, the Christian man, was secretly marrying young couples that had come to him because he believed in the sanctity of marriage and the sacredness of marriage and that God had put man and wife together. He believed in what the scriptures said. And so he was secretly marrying him. Claudius, the emperor, found out, brought him into his chambers, uh, into his um, you know, judgment hall and judged him very quickly and murdered him. In, a, in actual fact, they beat him to death and cut his head off and martyred him and threw him out. And that was in 270 AD on the 14th of February, which is actually today. And so 
Ever since then, this man who believed the Lord and wanted to uphold the sanctity of marriage and the sacredness of it, um, was then, um, there was a day made that said it was St. Valentine's Day. So if, so if you want to give uh, flowers or love or encouragement or support to your wife, there's a good reason for it because there was a man hundreds and hundreds of years ago who died for the sake of marriages who died because he believed in the importance of it and how if you build a marriage strong you build a community you build a, a, a state you build a nation you build a world much stronger you'd have to agree would you agree this morning marriages and now i know today that we have all different types of marriages we have blended mar- families so we all different types of things blended families we have single moms single dads sometimes we have all different situations i'm glad there's a family of god you could be a part of that but, you know, today, I want to share and, and continue this theme about making not just families healthier, but making marriages healthier. And you might say this morning, well, what's in it for me? I'm not married. Well, maybe you're going to get married one day. Anybody want to get married one day? Not a person. Wow. Okay. Let's not put any pressure on anybody. That was your big chance. But anyway, you missed it. Um, you know, maybe you want to get married. Maybe you want to get married again. Maybe your spouse has passed away or there's been separation or something. Or maybe today you're happy not to be married. That's cool. You don't have to be. But you may say, well, what's in it for me today? What you're going to speak about? I want to tell you what I share has got incredible value for just relationships in general. Okay. So listen in this morning. So let's talk about Let's talk about marriage, but I suppose in a way just relationships because God created us to build good relationships with one another, to establish strong relationships. I, um, I had an interesting thing. We're going to talk about making my title. What did I tell you my title? Making marriage, marriages healthier. But who knows we haven't got perfect marriages? Oh, just me, right. But who knows we haven't got perfect families? So it's a matter. I, 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 just, I don't want us to be perfect. I just want us to move another step into being healthier whether it's your family or your marriage, just being healthier. We could all do it better, can't we? I'm continually reflecting with my wife about how I could do things better. I say, honey, how's our marriage going? And she's really gracious. She'll first of all say, oh, it's great. It's great. And then she'll say, "Um, but. (laughs) And as much as I don't want to hear it sometimes, it's a great moment for me to learn how to do it better because often it's my part. Not always, <laughs> but sometimes that I need to hear. So uh, this, this past week, uh, we, Michelle and I, on the Tuesday night of this week, I was in Gladstone. I didn't leave until Thursday night. Michelle and I jumped in the car at half past 10 Thursday night and drove to Brisbane, got there at 5 o'clock in the morning. And um, you didn't hear it from me. Information will come. Anyway, but uh, I, I, uh, I've, I've come back. And, uh, on, but on Tuesday night, we'd finished here at, the church, at, at our time of um, worship and prayer and that. And it was half past eight. And we, we had to get some groceries. So we went to Woolworths at the mall down there. At, uh, it was about 20 to 9. They closed at 9. So we kind of got in there. And I said to Michelle, you push the trolley and start to walk up and down the aisles. And I'll just go out like uh, on a mission and go and get... We had about 15 items and go and get some the food and bring it, I'll bring it back to the trolley. You know, who knows? Men are on a mission when they're in the supermarket. Women are on a journey. So it, it works really well. It works really well. So I, she said, yes, good idea. We've only got 20 minutes. There's hardly anybody in the Woolworths. 
except um, um, shopping at that time, but there's a whole lot of people packing, all these lovely people packing shelves. So anyway, she said, could you go and get some calamari, a couple of boxes of calamari, you know, squid rings, who likes those? You know, yeah, righto, all the seafood people. So I said, not a problem. So I knew where they were. I took off on a mission. I wasn't stopping for anybody. I grabbed them out of the freezer. I got it. And now I'm walking back along the, the back corridor of the Woolworths. And I'm just looking down every aisle. Because you know what you do. You're looking for, you're looking for, um, I was looking for Michelle. Where is she? I went down. It, there's about 12 aisles. I went down. I looked. I didn't go down. I just looked. And then I got to the end and I couldn't see. I thought, she's got to be there somewhere. She must be hiding behind one of the ends or something. I went back and I looked again, couldn't see. I thought, where is she gone? I went back again the third time along the back corridor, looking down the aisles for Michelle. And as I'm coming back for the fourth time, a a lady who was packing the shelves, a lovely big smile, she said to me, "Um, look, can I help you find something? I said, yes, a wife. (laughs) She said, I think they're on the third shelf (laughs) in aisle five. (laughs) We both laughed. Anyway, I thought, you know what, go down one of the aisles, she's probably at the front checkout somewhere and just can't see her out of view. I went down the aisle, I'm at the front part of near the checkouts, she's not there. I walked through each aisle, I walked looking up the other way now, couldn't see her. I walked back the other way, couldn't see her. One of the assistant managers was doing something at one end of, of the, near the uh, checkouts and he, said, he said to me, he said, excuse me sir, I, I noticed you're kind of looking, can I help you find something? I said, I said again, a wife. And he said to me, you know what? He says, how about I make a call out on the, on, on the loudspeaker? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, I just laughed. <laughs> I'm thinking, you are joking? What are you going to say? Man looking for wife, aisle three, ladies all come. You know, what are you going to say? So, I, so I, I rang Michelle. I got my phone out of my, I'm, I'm at the front near the checkouts. I ring Michelle. She picks it up. I said, honey, where are you? She says, I'm in Woolworths shopping. Where are you? I said, I'm in Woolworths trying to find you. She says, oh, how long have you been doing that? Oh, for the last eight minutes. Well, honey, I've been here all the time. I said, well, where have you been? I've been looking. I've been searching. I was a little frustrated. Um, And she says, stay put. If you stay there, I'll come to you. I'll come to the front checkouts. And within two minutes, she turned up. And all was good. It all happened well. And I got over my frustrations, um, you know, of finding a wife. And it led me to this verse that I thought God was speaking to me from Tuesday night. He spoke to me about this verse, kind of. Uh, the Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And here is the verse. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. This, look, the, the man who wrote this was a guy called Solomon. And Solomon was apparently the wisest man of of our historical records. He was wise. And this is a great statement. And there was a lot behind this one verse. Because you've got to realize Solomon, who was the son of David, he was the king, Solomon was the king of Israel. Solomon was a polygamist. Do you know what a polygamist is? More than one wife. In actual fact, he had more than a couple. He had 700. 700 wives, 300 concubines. How would you ever get to know anybody in your life? 700, a thousand different women in his life. But he writes a statement that says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. What's he really saying? I think what he's really saying is he's finally discovered that polygamy doesn't work. In actual fact, if you look at what Solomon's records, you'll find that unfortunately all those 700 wives, 300 concubines, 
brought foreign gods into his world and it really started to de degenerate the worship of God. It destroyed. In actual fact, it was the rocks on which Solomon destroyed his social life because of all the wives and concubines that he had. And out of that understanding and wisdom, he finally writes, he who finds a wife. That's why he wrote it. That's why I've always wondered, what does Solomon really mean with this verse? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. It almost seems a bit, you know, what, what, what's he trying to really say? Well, what he's saying is, if you get one wife, stick with the one. In actual fact, if you flip it around the other way, if you find one husband, stick with the one. It's a good thing. Now, the word find here is interesting because the word find in, this, in these scriptures, um, it's mentioned twice, it has the, it has the implies that it, you actually need to spend time if you're going to, because to find something, you've got to look for it. In actual fact, it's saying, you know, what it means is, is if you're going to find, if you're looking for a husband or wife, take some time to look. Don't just take up every Tom, Dick and Harry that smiles at you. Take some wisdom about it, get some insight into it and just look, observe, find, take time. You know, now I know that sometimes maybe you're here today and you say, well, I met my wife and I met my husband and we were just, man, we fell in love and you've heard the stories and we've been together ever since. Well, amen. But you know what? I think there's always in our hearts that little list that says, well, these are some of the qualities I really want. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Is that okay? You're married, Kate, but just the others there, you know. <laughs> oh, over here as well. So I don't think, uh, that, I think Solomon has declared something incredibly important out of all, because he failed in the areas of wives. But he has this wisdom for us. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. I love that principle. I love that simple thought. Today, let's just dive off. I want to talk about not just, um, not just finding a wife or finding a husband, but what makes uh, marriages healthier. What, what did Solomon find out? Because what we're going to look at is some Proverbs that actually Solomon wrote about. I mean, he shipwrecked his life so much, social life so much because of women, but we find that he shares some incredible wisdom about it because he, he knew what it was like to have some bad marriages. He had maybe 700 of them, I don't know. But he, it obviously, it actually talks about when Solomon, they found Solomon's grave, they found him with one woman that was buried with him. And everybody believes historically that was the one woman, he, it was really the, the woman he loved. And interesting, isn't it? We won't, anyway, that's another story. So, making marriages healthy. So, I've got some key words to making marriages healthy today. Actually, I've got some key words to making relationships healthier. And the first word that I just want to share with you is loyalty. Loyalty, because in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, in the New Living Translation, it says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Deep, write them deep within your heart. Loyalty. The first key word of making marriages healthy is loyalty. A loyalty between each spouse. Um, it, when each spouse, you know what that is? When each spouse knows that they are the priority of the other person priority of the other person there's no other people that are going to come in between that particular relationship do you think that's a good thing definitely you see um you don't want a situation where one spouse realizes that the other spouse is more loyal not just maybe somebody else but also more loyal to other things come on 
You know, uh, in marriage sometimes we get more loyal to other things. Maybe it's sport or, or maybe it's TV or maybe it's something else that just consumes our time and we give little time to that husband or that spouse or, or maybe it's people, it's the, the girlfriends with the women, you know, got all my friends or maybe for the guys, it's all the guys, you know, I've got to go out three times a week, I've got to meet with the guys. Now, you know, I don't know, but, the, you know, I want you to know that if we're really going to have a marriage, it's got to have some loyalty and you've got to be more loyal. You know, if you can go out with the guys but be more loyal to your wife, that's fantastic and vice versa. But the loyalty that, um, that uh, Solomon is speaking of here is a, is a, a loyalty that puts, it, puts the other person first before anything or anyone else. I think that's a great glue for marriage. Would you agree? Loyalty means being loyal to the other person as well, regardless of the circumstances, for better or for... Who had that in their wedding vows? Or something similar? We all probably had something similar, didn't we? Better or worse. The traditional is better or worse. You know, I've married um, about 70 couples over the years. What a privilege that's been. But I've realized that every marriage, including my own in hindsight, when I got married in this building, I realized that I was all sparkled and, you know, it was all rose-colored glasses when I saw my wife and she with me. And, and that's okay at first, but there comes a moment where you've got to realize that sometime down the track, there may come some moments that want to create some of the worst moments. That you've really got to, and it's not the time to bail on your relationships. It's not the time to run away or bail on your marriage. It's the time to draw closer. But you've got to realize there's better. And when we get married, we say better or worse. But maybe the truth is, is we haven't experienced the worst at that moment. That's cool. Because um, it's interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of the time... Uh, when we first meet our, our, our spouse or we meet that person in our lives, we really are in love with their avatar. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe not. And an avatar is, a, it, it, if you look at the word avatar, it means a person who has everything good about them, perfect. They're, they're, they're more, everything that you see about them that's good is more enhanced in your eyes. But eventually, maybe after a, a year of marriage or two years or 20 years, you see the real person. Now, I'm not saying that they could be any, necessarily any different to what you married them. But the reality is, is you have to go through some of those situations that can be worse. And you see the person, then you see each other in the realities of that. Oh, how you react to that or how you don't react to it. And sometimes we get taken away and excited about the avatar, but the reality is it's always good to spend time before you marry to communicate and talk and understand the person as much as you can, and it's, you know, um, so that there is an understanding of the person that you're about to engage with and, and, and uh, make your wife or husband. So we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware that regardless of the circumstances, there's a loyalty that we need to have to each other in our relationships. Um, Michelle found out her worst about me on our honeymoon. It was, it was the second week. We, we traveled all the way to Early Beach and we, we had this unit booked and it was up overlooking, you know, the, the water, beautiful water of the Whiff Sundays and you could, the islands are out there. And I was, I got this, um, I got food poisoning and for three days vomiting. So we landed there, and I, I, I literally went from the car to a bed, and Michelle unpacked the car with all the, um, all the luggage, and she told me afterwards, she said, I broke two nails unpacking that car. <laughs> I said, it's okay, honey. 
I wasn't feeling the best. I wasn't going to unpack anything. Uh, so I was in, uh, on the third day. Uh, um, sounds familiar, doesn't it? I didn't rise, but um, my wife, my wife did make me pee and ham soup because I hadn't eaten for three days, and uh, and and I. You know, I wasn't feeling the best still, but she bought me this green pea and ham, and I thought she's really trying to be and love me because I'm kind of disappearing here. I'm fading away. So I kind of laid there, and I ate the pea and ham soup, and it, it was appreciated. I appreciated, and, um, and I tried to keep it down. <laughs> and I even tried to make it to the toilet, but everything landed about five meters down the hallway and all up the hallway I vomited right to the toilet I think I got about a mouth a little bit just in the toilet and I went back to bed and my wife had to clean it up and I realized that the truth is is that was the second week of our marriage Michelle hadn't even cleaned washed any of my clothes she hadn't even had a chance to, to you know to clean our house but before she did any of that she had to clean up my vomit and I tell you that to say she didn't all of a sudden look at me after cleaning up the vomit and say, you know what, it wasn't written in the marriage vows about vomit. It wasn't written in the marriage. I'm out of here. I'm going back to mum and dad. She didn't say that. And you know, the truth is, probably not one couple here in the second week of their marriage, if your husband vomits or your wife vomits, are you going to pack up and leave? You're not. But the reality is, what's it like when it's a year or two or three or four and the worst happens? You know, the better and then the worst happens. I want to just encourage you. It's a time when you say, hey, am I committed to this? Am I committed? Am I committed to communicate with this spouse of mine to work through this? See, Scripture continually talks about, come on, um, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Do, do you know the word neck in Scripture in the Old Testament talked it, meant obedience? And, and, and it referred to when the oxen, you put two oxen together and you would put the, around their neck to, to make them walk in the same line, you would put a what? A yoke around their neck. And it's a, it's a yoke so that they would walk in the same path, that they would walk in unity, that they walk together. And in relationships, if you want a good relationship, you've got to walk together. Would you agree? And so in marriage, what, what Solomon's saying in Proverbs 3, he's saying, come on, he's saying, uh, tie them around the, the, where you're yoked together with your spouse or yoked together in that relationship so that you walk together in unity and there's a commitment to loyalty. And there's a commitment to those type of values so that you could stand strong and so that we see uh, that your family unit can then become strong. Who knows? If you want a strong family, you've got to start with a strong marriage. Um. Loyalty, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Um, loyalty says we've been and we'll go through the worst. And you say it's okay because we know we are each other's priority. It's okay. And that gives us great confidence to face the low times knowing that nothing could separate us. I want to continue. Second, move on. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31, 10 and 12. Proverbs 31 is all about the... The wonderful lady that's mentioned right through Proverbs 21. Don't get turned off by this proverb, ladies. Oh, how could I ever be able to live up to that standard? I'm not trying to say that. And I don't think so, um, 
Actually, this is the one proverb that Solomon didn't write. Some, one person wrote, he wrote 29 and then someone wrote the other 30 and 31. But it says in Proverbs 31, 10 to 12, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far, more, uh, far above rubies? The heart of her husband safely trusts her so we'll have no lack of gain. She does, not, she does him good and not, ev- not evil all the days of her life. The second key word to make your marriage healthy is trust. Trust. When I first saw Michelle, there was a statement. I remember we had church here one night. We went to, um, to uh, the unit of the girl that Michelle was living with. And Michelle came out of the room. And some of you know the story. And this statement came into my mind. This thought, this is the woman you should marry. And straight away, I, I, it was a random thought. It was out of the blue. I mean, who thinks of those thoughts when you first see a person, especially a person you've never even spoken to? And so I just completely dismissed it. It was a bit like when... when um, and when Jesus come to uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and, um, and Jesus said, baptize me, John. And John says, no, 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 you baptize me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You've got to understand, it's for, it, it, at this time, this needs to happen this way, so that all righteousness can be, you know. And, and Jesus uh, was baptized by John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist kind of reacted and said, no, I'm not going to baptize you. I'm the sinner. You're the perfect one. You know, you, you don't need to be baptized. It was a bit like that when I said to God, um, well, I thought, God, that is not a good thought. She's not even a Christian. I'm not going to, you know, and I think that's what the reaction God wanted from me. But the truth is, is there was, just as John the Baptist, Jesus said to John the Baptist, really, he was saying, there's a bigger picture here, John. You're not seeing it, but I need to be water baptized. Because one day I'm going to do something incredible for humanity. I'm going to die. And water baptism is a symbolic of my death, burial and resurrection. That's, I'm going to literally do that in my body. There's a bigger picture. And you know, I, I now in hindsight look back at that moment when I heard those, those words in my mind. This is the lady you should marry. And I rejected it. And I think God wanted me to reject it because she wasn't a Christian. But he, he wanted me to see in hindsight... A year later, when she became a Christian, I started to observe some things about this lady who was in this church. I thought, man, this lady's integrity, honest, and most of all, she's trustworthy. I could see some great qualities. And so finally, when we went out, I saw this big picture all of a sudden, and God had already solidified something way back then. But uh, when I first saw her, but he was, he was establishing something for me to understand that this is a lady you could trust and you could marry. Isn't that a wonderful thing that I, I believe now in hindsight that God did with me? And you know, God, so many times with the promises of God, you might think, oh, that'll never come to pass. But you don't see the big picture. Just stand upon his promise because a year, two years down the track, you'll all of a sudden see something come to pass. And remember, oh, God, you promised that. And you've got to remember about that and receive that it was God's plan and purpose. It's just that you don't see it come to It seems impossible at the time. How could I ever marry a girl like Michelle? She was, she was not a Christian. She, you know, she, she was, um, um, you know. Anyway, won't go there. She was doing stuff that I wouldn't do. You know, so I'm thinking, I can't go there. I can't. But, you know, isn't it with your situations and the promises you receive? You think, oh, there's a dry land. There's nothing happening. It's never going to happen. But it's amazing if you hang on to it, what God can do if you would just believe him. And so this statement came into my mind and I rejected it. And, but it says in Proverbs 31.11, it says, notice it says, his heart, the husband's heart safely trusts her. And I discovered as I observed my wife to be that she was a very trustworthy lady. And it was a powerful um, statement to me in Proverbs 11.31. Verse 11 became powerful because I I thought, you know what? She's a lady you could safely trust. Uh, We need to realize that while trust can take years to build between a couple, it can be destroyed in one moment. 
And we've got to be careful because once trust is broken, it takes a long time to re-establish it. But it can be re-established. And that's why you've got to continually make trust deposits in your marriage or in your relationship. Make trust deposits. Does everybody know what I'm saying? Be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. You know, I was... Um, let me be, just be really honest. I was going to a running club here in Glade. I'm not going to that one. There's several running clubs. I was going many, many years ago. And uh, in the running clubs, a whole bunch of people. And this lady would always come and talk to me. She was younger than me. And, um, and she'd come and talk to me. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's okay. You know, and I was very innocent, very naive. I was just, we were in a crowd of people. It was an issue. And then one day when I'm walking away, I had no interest except to be a polite pastor. And I thought, maybe you can win it. Gee, don't get fooled by that. Now, as I'm walking away one day, she blows me a kiss. And I'm like, did that just happen? I just kept walking. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she's a married lady with kids. I came home and I thought, and you know what I'd done? I deposited trust in my wife's account. She's got a trust account. It's called James Hewitt. You've got to trust him. And I said to Michelle, do you know what just happened to me? She said, this lady I've been talking to just blew me a kiss. Honey, I am not interested in that lady. And over the next weeks, I definitely, she came to understand that's a no-go zone. Men, don't get sucked in. Continue to, you might say, hey, never happened. Well, never even, just never say never, but just, it could, it could, there could be a temptation. Just, just always be vigilant, always be vigilant. The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And in relationships, you know, you've got to always put, you've got to build, you've got to put deposits into the trust account. Is that cool? Here's the third one. Security. If you want a good relationship, you need to have security. John chapter 13, 3 to 5. I'm going to read this. It said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel on which he was girded. The third key word that makes your marriage secure healthy is security. Jesus knew all things had been given into his hands. That means he knew what he had. He knew he had a relationship with his God. He knew God loved him. And it says, and he knew where he'd come from and he knew where he was going. And out of this, he was, there was an understanding that he, he was confident in who he was because he knew his God and he knew that God had purpose for him. He was confident. And it says, out of this understanding, he then went and served the disciples he was the teacher, and yet he washed their feet. This is where I'm going. He humbled himself and served his disciples, and he came from, came from a position of personal security. So your security, um, when you're comfortable in who you are in Jesus, when you, when you know who God has made you to be, that you're a child of the living God, that you're, you're born, not, you're not just um, someone who's a mistake. You are a purposeful person that God loves you. He's got purpose for your life. And even, even if someone said your birth was an accident, it was never an accident. It was a purpose. And as you, because I want to share with you this morning, you can only find security in the Lord Jesus. If you truly who you could find who you are in Jesus. It says in him we live and move and have our being. It says in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. It's in Jesus. It's in a relationship with God. 
Now, you might say, how does that relate to relationships? Well, when you're secure in who you are and you go into a relationship, you then become, you then start to so much easy to love that person and be a giver and not a taker. But when you're insecure, you often find you want to take things. In any relationship that may be, you're always looking for what you can get because you're not quite sure who you are. But when you know who you are in God, it's incredible confidence and security in that. And you can then be a giver and you can actually do what Jesus did and humble yourself and actually serve people who you think are lower in the ladder than you or lower whatever. You just can serve them. You can love the unlovely. You can, have a, you, know, you can do what you thought was never possible, care for other people. And you never have that attitude then floating around your life like, I am better than everybody else. No, 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 we're just the same. It's just that we can be totally confident. What makes us different between us and maybe other people is when you're totally confident in who God is in your life. And it makes for so much better relationships. Because it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. How could you ever love your neighbor if you cannot love God and know his love in your heart? I discovered that I have so much more love for my wife and I could serve my wife and I don't have to get from my wife. I just have, have got a heart to give. I don't do that perfectly. But it creates such a strength, a security. And the best way to be a give, have a giving mentality is to engage and understand the love of God and let it be in your heart. Do you know Jesus' crown and glory of his life was not setting up some earthly kingdom and having a, this great title. Even though I think some of the disciples thought Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and overcome the Roman Empire and all that. Jesus' greatest crowning glory in life, his crowning moment, was not sitting on a throne on this earth, but was nailed to a cross on this earth. As he gave, for God so, what did he say? Go, God so loved the world that he gave. Why could Jesus give so confidently his life? humanity is because he knew who he was in God he knew the love God had for him and he, the love he had for his heavenly father and he gave his life and he paid the debt that no one could pay and that was the debt of sin on your life and my life and when Jesus paid that debt he was actually saying forgiven I'm giving to you I'm giving to you forgiveness I'm giving to you wholeness I'm giving to you a eternal life the opportunity to receive it as you accept jesus christ and you know when you have that understanding in marriage or relationships you're secure in who you are in god you can be so much more secure about serving and loving other people come on so vital and that hurt and pain that you sometimes feel against other people when you when people you think oh what are they doing to me that'll uh, you know you'll realize they're not trying to hurt you you're just overly timid or overly reactive and God can strip that away and replace it with his confidence and joy and peace and that whatever is said and done to you it, you don't have to be get reactionary reactionary and in marriage there's opportunity to get reactionary isn't there or even relationships with someone oh what do they say you'll do that for no no it's in God that we move, live and move Michelle has been a wonderful wife to me as the team come for over, well, for 34 years, a wife, but literally we've known each other for 36 uh, years. And we've known each other. If there's been a strength in our relationship, it's this. 
that she knows my weaknesses and she compliments me. And I know hers and I compliment her. Do you know when Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, 18, it says, I will make Adam a helper, comparable to him. The word comparable means compliment. My wife compliments me. I compliment her. There's some relationships that I have with people, good friends, not other guys, that I could see that I compliment. They compliment me. It's a complimentary relationship. I want to say this. Your marriage is not meant to be a competition. It's meant to be a complementing each other. You don't have to compete with one another. You just need to complement. And that's what God planned and purposed for us. And I'm so glad um, what Michelle, because of her giving to me and because of my opportunity to give to her, God's love and joy and peace has built, been built into our marriage. That's been such a strength and such a glue. And it's been built into our children. And I see that same strength in them simply because that they've been able, I've been able to model it before them. And we haven't got it perfect, folks, and I'm far from that. But because of that, then I've seen God's church grow because there's been strong families or strong relationships. And people say, I, 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 want, a, I want something like that. I want to have a marriage like that because they see good marriages within the body of Christ or they see great, healthy parent-child relationships. They say, I want that kind of thing. And so they're willing to say, yeah, that's what we need. God wants to build something into your heart. We're going to close this morning. Can we just stand together? I want to just pray for you today. Thank you today. Just taking it in and I... My sincere heart is that we would see, it's not just about marriages, but that I hope that you can see relationships need to be established. And we can do that with each other. So I just want to pray for you in regards to your, certainly within your marriage, but I want to pray for you for your relationships. Because I know that the heart of God is to have relationship. He wanted it with us. That's why he said Jesus. And that's why he didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit. Because one of the most important things in the Christian faith is just this healthy, growing relationships. So let me pray. Father, today, I thank you for every person. I thank you for every married couple. And Lord, where maybe today they identify with some things that have just got to be, uh, become healthier, help them, Lord. Help us all to get healthier in our relationships with each, our spouse today, that is our husband or our wife. To, to see that we just need to be loyal, that where that temptation has come maybe in the workplace or, or there's been trust issues broken, that you would restore that trust, Lord, and you'd help us to trust one another again in that marriage. And that we'd be loyal to each other. And that, Lord, that we'd be drawn near to you. And as we do, that you'll create a real security for us then to be givers in our relationship of marriage and not takers, not always, but able to humbly bow and serve one another. Lord, today, if we're not married here today, that's cool, that's great. That you would help each in our relationships. Father, to allow you to come and infiltrate our very life with your love so that we can love in return those around us. To love the lost, Lord. To love the people out there who need you. To walk in your ways every day because of the love of the Father in our hearts. Father, we ask that. And today, Lord, I pray for people that are here today, maybe never responded to you, Lord Jesus. Never made 
I, I, you know, never walked up to you or never allowed you into their hearts. It says if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's the confession of our mouth and the belief in our heart that we can receive Jesus into our lives. Help people to do that, Lord. To confess you and to receive you if they've never received you into their life. Help them to see that you're the great relationship strengthener and restorer. Because you invented it, God, relationships. And so we commit ourselves. And Lord... I just pray, if you, if for people today who've never responded to Jesus, here's a simple prayer that I, I can illustrate to you. Heavenly Father, I come to you. I receive you into my life. I thank you through Jesus and what he'd done for me. We died on a cross to take my sins. I receive your forgiveness. And I put you first in my life. And Jesus, become my Savior, but also my Lord, that would help me to live life better. As I yield to you today, tomorrow, and the rest of my life, Thank you that you received me. I receive you in Jesus' name. It's as simple as that. Father, help people to make that decision, receiving you, I pray. And we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.